The opinions and statements expressed in the following program do not necessarily reflect those of WWDB, its staff, or management. Good day, everyone. Welcome again to another edition of uh, Boomer Generation Radio. This is your host, Richard Address. And we're coming to you from the beautiful, but little cloudy today, studios of WWDB AM860 here in Greater Philadelphia. And we're streaming live on WWDBAM.com. You can reach us at Boomer Generation Radio on Facebook or the um, Boomer Generation Radio at Gmail. And a reminder that all of our shows are archived uh, on my website, JewishSacredAging.com. And we will be right back with our first guest on our first segment, Stephen Mag from uh, Leading Age, right after this message from our good friends at Kendall. Hi, this is Kendall staff member Sheila Sylvester. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio was brought to you by Kendall, a system of not-for-profit communities and services in eight states that advocates for and empowers older adults to reach their full potential. Please join us in Together Transforming the Experience of Aging. To learn more about Kendall, that's K-E-N-D-A-L, visit discoverkendall.org or call toll-free 888-759-0128. Good day, and we uh, move into our first segment here on today's edition of Boomer Generation Radio, and welcome to the microphones from Leading Age, the Director of Residential Communities for Leading Age, Stephen Mag. Steve, are you there? I am. Good morning. Good morning, sir. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, thanks. Yeah, you're. Da- are you down in Washington? Yeah, we're in uh, Washington, D.C. Well, you should be very busy and excited. <laughs> <laughs> Well, busy is one thing, yeah. Uh, it's, it'll be an interesting period of time coming up. There's no doubt about yeah, that. Yeah, well, that's that old Chinese curse, you know. We should live in interesting times. Right. So uh, talk to me a little bit about um, leading age. You have this very, very interesting mission statement uh, saying that you want to be the trusted voice for aging in America. What does that mean and what is leading age? Leading Age is a national association of not-for-profit providers of service to seniors. Um, we have over 6,000 members. We run the gamut from small, you know, adult day, meals on wheels providers, all the way up to, to uh, uh, skilled nursing rehabilitation centers, uh, very sophisticated health care providers, <clears throat> and everything in between, assisted living, skilled nursing, home health care agencies, a lot of life plan communities, formerly known as continuing care retirement communities, CCRCs. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> That's really where we got our start. Um, probably two-thirds of our members are um, um, fraternal or church-related entities, and about a third or a quarter are community-based kinds of programs. Um, and <clears throat> we changed our name to Leading Age about five years ago uh, from American Association of Homes and Services for the Aging because we really wanted to position ourselves as a, an entity that is um, driving um, and pushing society forward in how we deal with and respond to an increasing number of, of uh, aging citizens um, and do it in a, in a different manner. We are a 501c3 uh, not-for-profit organization, not a, um, a trade association. So we're positioning ourselves a little bit differently. So as a director of residential communities, what, what, it, what, do, you, what do you do? Well, I'm, my area of responsibility is primarily what I like to call bricks and sticks. Um, I'm <laughs> responsible for the um, pub- public policy advocacy for our life plan communities, 
Uh, we have about 12, 1,300 of those as members, um, assisted living providers. Um, I also get involved with our low-income senior housing to some extent. <clears throat> I'm an attorney by training. I've been involved in, in long-term care, long-term support services for well over 30 years. So I also dabble in, in some of the other things, Medicare, Medicaid. I'm one of the, the registered lobbyists on staff. So it's a little bit of a, a potpourri of things, but the main focus is our, our large contingent of members that run campus-based uh, services. Well, let me let, let this, you raise two issues that really like on the, are going to leap out of the front pages, uh, and I'm sure you're aware. But let, let me ask you first of all about since you're a coordinated body of dealing with these services and facilities, like the bricks and sticks things, which is a great term. The, the nature of the world is so changing within the field of aging. We've had people on who are uh, people who are administrators and executive directors of uh, CCRCs and assisted living facilities, and they, they talk about the challenges and the changes that are now facing this industry. Walk me through what you see as sort of like a um, the big picture because you coordinate or involved with so many of these organizations, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them. What, what, what are you seeing as the major challenges to, for the next 10, 15 years as the boomers continue to age out? Well, that is a, that's a great question because I think we are in the midst of a mon- monumental change in direction um, in care and services for seniors, um, probably more than any other time in the, the certainly since the Medicare Medicaid Act in the mid-60s. <clears throat> and I really... I really put it into three categories. You mentioned the boomers. They are, are, will slowly be trickling into the system right now. They're not really here yet. Um, statistics show that most of the people that are um, involved with our members and the services start to show up when they're about 75 or so and really start to impact when they're 80. So, you know, the, the oldest boomer will be 80 in 2026. So, you know, in the next few years, we'll slowly start to see the impact of the boomers. We're in the midst of the silent generation right now, which is, is um, 1930 to 1946, and they're, they're, they have some of the same characteristics as the boomers, but not necessarily to the same extent. As we all know, and I'm, I'm right in the middle of the boomers, so I can speak from experience, you know, we, we push back, we challenge, we don't accept authority, um, we want what we want when we want it, and that's a different mindset than we've been dealing with as providers of services to seniors certainly different than the GI generation, World War II generation that we've been serving primarily up till now, who were a very um, strong um, cohort of uh, seniors, but they tended to be um, conservative. They didn't push back. They valued stability and security. And so if, as a provider, it made it really easy for us to meet their needs because as long as we did, you know, uh, three hots in a cot, you know, we had a place for them to stay, they had meals, they had some level of activities, then they were satisfied. They didn't push back. They may not have, have liked everything or they may not have been 100% satisfied, but they'd been through depressions and World War Twos and, and things. So, you know, they valued having that security. Yeah. But so, the boomers so- uh, who shut down universities in the 60s, um there's a good chance that at Shady Acres they'll they'll organize to boycott the dining room if the food isn't correct. Exactly right. And I mean they they are going to want what they want when as I said when they want it. And that mindset is something we're starting to see 
um, our members having to respond to in looking at how do we involve these these residents in decision making, um, how do we respond to their desires. One of the the when I do I do a lot of board retreats for our members, and one of the um, little clips I play to kind of amuse them is the old George Carlin skit about stuff. You know, people have got all kinds of stuff. Baby boomers have got a lot of stuff, and you know that's beginning to show up. Um, you know, we've got rollerblades, we've got skis, we've got <laughs> kayaks, um, and we need, you know, we want to have a place for that stuff. And I'll, and I've been waiting for this, and it's, it was really fascinating. This summer, for the first time, we have a listserv that goes out among our members, and for the first time on our listserv, we had one of our members respond or ask a question of the other members of the listserv. What do you do with residents who move in who have kayaks? <laughs> and you know that that was it that i mean that is the bow wave of the baby boomers who are going to you know want rock and roll who are going to um you know have these kinds of things are going to want to maintain an active lifestyle um much different than what we've dealt with in the past and so we have to really reinvent ourselves and rethink how we conduct business because it is not going to be business as usual so talk to me a little bit about um, the impact of technology on this challenge, because this is a generation, the boomers, and certainly the people coming after us. But let's talk about our generation. We, we, we are now, we've learned to deal with our iPads, our iPhones. We're connected to them. Um, you know, we don't leave home without it. And if, God forbid, we, we happen to lo- forget, we feel like we're, like, emasculated or naked or something. We must have that phone. So are, are in the communities that you're dealing with across that big picture, are more and more of them Wi-Fiing, putting things in, making it technologically accessible? Um, how is and 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 the apps? Because I'm starting to see a lot more apps dealing with health, wellness, aging. How are you? How are you dealing with that? Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's funny you, the, the commentary you made. Um, my wife accidentally grabbed my iPhone this morning and took it with her, and I uh-huh. was panicking, searching the house. Rounds for what the happened? Where'd it go? <laughs> yeah. So, and you're right. The baby boomers are fully tech, technology conversant, um, and it really manifests itself in a couple of different ways. One is, as you talked about, when a when somebody is looking at a community, a baby boomer will be looking at a community. They will expect that community to have whatever the latest greatest technology is, whether it's Wi-Fi now or something more in the future, uh, because their life is going to continue to be dictated by um, technology, you know, what they can do, when they can go, you know, all those kinds of things. So from a, from a provider standpoint, um, you know, whatever technology the, the consumer is using, they're going to have to facilitate that, that technology um, on campus. Right now it is Wi-Fi you know, having the full campus with with high high tech um, and high grade Wi Fi um, is what you know our members are moving to. They are moving towards creating their own apps um, to keep members of uh, in the community informed of what's going on on campus. Um, more sophisticated than the old in house TV television screen kind of uh, information. The other side to this is what I think is even more fascinating and which really does raise some significant policy issues that we're going to be wrestling with in the future, and that's how much technology can enable somebody to maintain a healthy lifestyle. Um, And there are dozens of apps coming out that help do things like the remote monitoring so you can have your health care 
uh, monitored. Social apps, so you know, Skype-based kinds of things, so you can communicate with people. Uh, you know, support apps like you know, it's it's kind of the Uber concept, um, but for things like food, you can have there's a there's a program where you can have menu, you can have food delivered to your house. There's another one where you can actually have a chef go to the store, come to your place. Um, cook the food and put it in the fridge for a week. And, it, you know, it's only about $150 a week, um, so it's not really expensive. And so all those kinds of things, the transportation-related, Uber's developing some senior-specific transportation. Right, I saw and that. What that yeah, what that really means for us as providers is, and this is what I tell our, our members all the time, your competition in the future is not somebody building a new new uh, CCRC or assisted living down the street. Your competition is the senior who has enough resources to avail themselves of all these apps and can stay at home and live there much more safely and much more connected. Um, the social isolation, which is always an issue, starts to become overcome. So you really start to see a um, a different mindset in, and a different approach to aging services that are going to really impact uh, what's going on. Do you think then that leading age and everyone else are, who's involved in providing services are really going to in the next 10 years have to readjust their mindset and really focus more on aging in place and providing services at home? Because you can't I think you, they're going to have to. Can't you now also with doctors, I mean, with, with, with your laptop or, or your iPhone or whatever, have your doctor do a house call via electronics? Yeah, that's one of the kind of health-related monitoring apps, and, and those kinds of things are going to become even more important. You know, for and there's you know there's other overlays. The, the whole healthcare reform component of trying to, to to focus on population health and preventative health, and so you know the federal government will see how it shakes out over the next two or three years because everything's kind of up in the air. But the trend has been moving towards establishing payment sources for preventative care to try and do that and payment sources for telehealth related um, approaches. So if I f- am not feeling well, <clears throat> I can you know, get on the, the computer, get a hold of my healthcare provider, uh, talk to them and, and interact with them real time. Um, I can put my hand and, in, and arm in a cuff, you know, and they can take my blood pressure. They, I can t- get a blood sample and they can tell what the, 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 some of the blood sample. And those things are all either developed or in the process of being developed. So, wow. yeah, between, the, the amount and type of technology um, is just staggering. <clears throat> you know, we've got all the big players, you know, the Googles and the Microsofts and, you know, the Samsungs and the Sonys and the Intels are all spending millions of dollars on on R&D as well as as app based things that are geared towards seniors because they you know they see a huge obviously a huge market with with tremendous opportunities and we know the way that the, the computer systems work um, I don't remember the name of the law but you know things double every couple of years so things are going to continue to drop in price um, and become even more efficient in the future so it's a it's a very real challenge for our members to understand that and decide, you know, how do we play in that? We have a few members, for example, who are actually embracing the technology and setting up services that they're the one that's providing some of this remote technology and supportive technology so that, that they're the ones dealing with the senior out in the community, mm-hmm. not even living on their campus, but out in the community and helping them manage their um, health services, um, you know, as a provider. You know, one of the things that our members are really good at is you know, transitions and managing aging in place. 
Um, so now we're actually seeing that that could be a marketable skill is is helping seniors who who don't want to may not be able to afford to but are still going to be aging be more successful in doing that in their own home apartment where they live. We're speaking with Steve Mag, uh, Director of Residential Communities for Leading Age. We'll be back with Steve. I want to talk to you a little bit more about this technology, but also talk to you a little bit about some of this um, impending changes on the laws dealing with, um, as you talked about, Medicare, Medicaid, and some of the interesting times that lie ahead. And we'll do that right after this message from our friends at Kendall. Hi, this is Kendall resident Harry Hammond. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio is brought to you by Kendall. Founded on Quaker principles, Kendall provides independent living, assisted living, memory support, skilled nursing and rehabilitation care for older adults in eight states. Whether you're looking for the intellectual and cultural stimulation of a college town or a big city, Kendall has a community for you. We are together transforming the experience of aging. To learn more, visit Kendall.org or call toll-free 888-759-0128. Welcome back to our first segment here on today's edition of Boomer Generation Radio, and we are speaking with uh, Mr. Steve Mag, Director of Residential Communities for Leading Age, uh, based in Washington, D.C. Uh, Steve, before I move on to that, that other the governmental stuff, is there like a one big um, website that, that you could talk to uh, or suggest that really talks about all these technological changes, or you really have to go Google and search them out for yourself? Yeah, unfortunately, you do have to kind of Google and search those out. We have a division here, um, Center for Aging Services Technology, CAST, um, which is dedicated to helping advance these technology-based systems and they have a, a uh, part of our website. So if you go to leadingage.org uh, and search for CAST, C-A-S-T, um, you can get some information. But it's it's not as broad as as we like it. It's you know we're doing more and more mm-hmm. um, kinds of things. But there really isn't any kind of clearinghouse. <clears throat> I think in part, um, frankly, because it's happening so fast. Right. Um, you know every every couple of months. You know, and I try and as most professionals do in their area of of, of business trying and keep up with trade journals and articles and all kinds of things and it's you know it's hardly a couple of weeks go by that i don't read about it and somebody else that's developing some kind of an app that's that's related to senior services in some form so it's happening so fast that <clears throat> it's really difficult to kind of just keep track and have any kind of uh, place to to um, develop that and a lot of them frankly are still relatively small we're you know we're um i now, we're not in the infancy, but we're still not anywhere close to being a mature segment. So there's still a lot of changes going on as well. Yeah, I would imagine it's toddler time uh, as far as yeah. the development. You mentioned, you know, your expertise and you're part of a team at, at Leading Age. Uh, okay. Let's talk a little bit about healthcare reform and how you as um, – somebody involved with this for leading age and working with all the agencies and institutions and facilities that you do, how you're looking at the next several years, given the expected changes in uh, uh, health and human services department, Medicare, Medicaid, social security, changes in reimbursement policies. Um, is it right now just total disarray? No one really knows or it's going to be a wait and see, or is, do you think you have a sense of the way things are going to go? Well, 
I think I'd have to say it's more on the wait and see um, because we really don't have a clear indication of the way uh, way things are going in the future. You know, for the last number of years, um, driven in part by the the uh, healthcare reform, Obamacare, although it's not technically the Obamacare, you know, we've been we've been Medicare particularly has been shifting its focus from the old fee-for-service approach where <clears throat> when you went to the hospital, the hospital got paid. When you went to the doctor, the doctor got paid. When you went to the nursing home, the nursing home got paid. And nobody cared because everybody got paid when they they provided the service to a system where they're doing capitated, bundled kind of payments. So they give some some entity, often a hospital or a health system, sometimes physician services, an X amount of money to take care of a certain diagnosis. So a hip fracture, for example, you'll get X amount of money, and that's all you're going to get. Um, you know, it's more complicated than that, but that's the the gist of it. And we've been moving towards that for the last several years. We're up to now. The last numbers I saw was somewhere in the neighborhood of 30, 31 percent of all the Medicare money being paid is in some kind of capitated rate payment system, um, not fee for services. So that's the move we've been going forward to. You know, in the during the campaign, <clears throat> certainly uh, President-elect Trump made statements about not wanting to change Medicare and not wanting to change Medicaid um, and, you know, and relying on where things are going. So that would be one way to look at it. Maybe they're not going to be changing these and these um, programs that, that uh, HHS and Center for Medicaid and Medicare Services have been rolling out and continue to roll out um, would continue into the future. On the other hand, you do have um, Representative Ryan and the plan to um, make changes to Medicare, albeit not right away, but down the road for privatization, voucher, subsidy support, some kind of a program like that, how that would impact these capitated rate payment systems um, is is unknown at this time, although I would guess, to be honest with you, that <clears throat> many of the insurance companies have been using this kind of capitated rate approach um, for a number of years. So if it did move to a more private insurance-based uh, market, then we would see the same kinds of things. It would just be done on an insurance contract kind of basis as opposed to a, a Medicare rate kind of basis. Hmm. So th- th- this really is, you know, to, to sort of like distill this, no one really knows what's going to happen. and We just have to wait and see. Yeah, I, I think that's that's the only thing you can really accurately say right now because there's just too many different kinds of approaches and and it's too early to to really understand what direction is going to be taken and you know how what can actually get passed i mean it's you know we all know that when you listen to campaigns and they promise doing this that and the other thing um you know that's that's a campaign promise but when they get here to dc and realize that you know yes they want to unwind some of the affordable care act but now they're looking at gee you know it's going to take us two or three years to do that All right. um you know so it's you know it's much easier to say these things than to actually do them um so it's going to be a while before we get any kind of clear picture as to what trends will emerge as as the driving forces and, and how much change uh, there will be in in what direction. Before we start running out of time for this segment, it, uh, give, give us the contact information for Leading Edge, the website, phones, people, if people want to touch base with you or sort of like get to know Leading Edge, what, how do they do that? Sure, Leading Edge uh, website's an easy one. It's www.leadingage.org. It's got a wealth of information on it. Um, it's got contact information from myself. You know, I, my uh, email address, and I'm happy to respond to people's questions or, or information, is 
um, smaag at leadingage.org. Um, and our um, telephone number here is 202-783-2242. You, you're involved, as you mentioned, with, with uh, communities and housing, housing issues, facility issues. Are you seeing um, a shift, especially with the boomers as they age, into changing the way we want to live in the next 20, 30 years to a more communal or, you know, this aging in place thing? My my sense is as I go around and, and travel and, and, and speak around these issues, there's a real sense of the bo- our generation saying, I'm going to do everything in my power not to have to go into an assisted living facility. Or a facility like um, that. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Um, that is some, that is a clear trend. There's a couple things that are starting to to, to become apparent. <clears throat> when I'm talking to our our CCRC members, for example, one of the things I stress with them is, you know, as as I mentioned earlier, this phenomenon of technology and aging of place is their biggest competition. So they're really going to have to figure out how do we do things that facilitate a lifestyle that make people's lives easier, better, um, and that's what they're going to be. It's, it's, you know, there's a book, you may have read, The Experience Economy. Um, they're going to really have to create an experience to attract the boomers because, you know, we're not going to be looking for stability and security. We're going to be looking at how do we continue to enhance our lives and do as much as we can do. So if if a campus can do that, then they have some some way to, to look to the future and, and look at success, <clears throat> uh, you know, and, and from a, another set is that there is some indications that there are going to be a lot of boomers, and this is kind of flashback to our, our 60s roots, I think, mm-hmm. to some extent, that are willing to live in kind of communal um, um, spaces, but not under the same terms as, as we have right now. So they'd be co-housing with multi-generations in, a, in an urban area or you know things that are that are a little bit more unusual. It's things that are located closer to to civic events and and cultural events and educational opportunities um, that are not the the kind of island approach that our CCRCs have often been in the past, where you go out buy a big piece of land, build a bunch of apartments and and cottages, and put a wall around it. Um, you know that concept is going to be something that the baby boomers push back on uh, very strongly. So. We're starting to see ways to, to create urban villages, um, and as a component of that urban village, there would be some services and, and uh, uh, housing for seniors, but it would be as part of a larger community. Right, and we've already started to see that village, the village movement. With about, we have about a minute and a half left in this segment, and I just want to ask you one quick question based upon, just again, if people cruise through the Leading Age website. There's a there's a, a a group amongst in the leading age community that that deals with research, um, and there's a sentence in one of those things that talks about something we've talked about on the show a lot, and have interviewed some people about at, at the growing implication that as the boomers age out and the facilities, you know, the demand for services and uh, etc., that they're just not going to be enough. Train qualified human beings to take care of us. Are you seeing the implications of that or the possibility of that? Oh, absolutely. It's, it is now our, the number one concern of our members. You really? Know, when you, when we ask the question of, you know, what keeps you up at night to our senior management, it is now the answer that we get every single time is how do we find and retain qualified staff? 
um, to into the future. Uh, we were spoiled during the recession five years ago because unemployment was high enough that we were able to get deep set. Now that unemployment is down in, at, at historically low levels, we're having an incredible difficulty getting staff and, and keeping staff. Just one short example I know of, of an area in the upper Midwest <clears throat> um, in, in the nursing uh, skilled nursing world that we had some members who actually had to turn down admissions because they couldn't find enough staff to take care of the people. Um, you know, and that kind of thing is popping up all over the country, and it's you know it is a, a a crisis that is going to build and build rapidly, and we have to figure out, you know, how do we attack that? How do we uh, change the the curve of and attract and retain people that are going to be willing to do it? Technology may play a role, <clears throat> but if this is still a people business, and we just need to figure out how do we make this a a more attractive um, position uh, in employment context uh, in the future. Steve Mag, the Director of Residential Communities for Leading Age. Thank you very, very much, Steve, for your just sure, a tremendous pleasure. amount of information. Good luck. Take care. Have a good holiday season, and okay, we'll hope to speak too. to you soon. Thank you very much. Okay. Have, yeah. Happy take, holidays. Take care, man. We'll be back with our second segment of Boomer Generation Radio and our guest Susan Collins from the Transition Network uh, right after our little musical bridge, little Nina Simone this morning.
Good day again, and welcome back to our second segment here on today's edition of Boomer Generation Radio, coming to you from the studios of WWDB AM 860 here in Greater Philadelphia. And we are streaming all over the known universe at WWDBAM.com. And again, you can reach us at BoomerGenerationRadio at gmail.com or on the Facebook page. And again, the uh, shows are archived on my website, JewishSacredAging.com. We are very pleased to welcome here in studio um, Susan Collins, the Executive Director of the Transition Network. Hi, Susan. Nice to see you. Hi, Richard. Thank you for having me. Fellow New Jersey resident. We're swapping stories about the, the joys of traveling from South Jersey to where the studio is and the famous Schuylkill Expressway. For those of you who don't know Philadelphia, it's a joy, one of the great roads of America. Always open, clean, easy, never any problem. <laughs> and if you believe that. <laughs> okay, Susan, nice to be, nice to have you with us. What's the Transition Network? It's kind of like a very, very fascinating organization and uh, talk to me about it. Well, we think it's fascinating, Richard. Uh, the Transition Network is a community of women, as we like to call ourselves, 50 and forward who are coming together to figure out life after work, um, life after what we've known for most of our uh, growing up years, our child-rearing years, our working years, and saying, well, well, we've got another 30 years to go. What are we going to do? Um, <laughs> and, and hopefully and, reinventing what that stage of life is. Okay, so you on the, on your communications on your website, you talk, you talked about, you talk about reinvented life. What, what is, what does that mean? And and let's let's talk about that uh, if there is such a thing as a typical member of the transition network. What what? Give me a profile. A profile. I think. Um, well, no one is typical, of course. But I guess the general uh, profile is a woman that's coming off of a career. Um, and these days, we're getting women that have a lot of diverse careers. It's not just the old-fashioned women's careers of education and nursing. Uh, we have lots of those, but we also now are having engineers and professionals. Um, but they're saying, I'm healthy, I'm strong, I've had a very interesting and engaging life. What is going to be the next step? And while reinvention may not take them away from that kind of engagement, it's not about leaving that behind. It's about taking the expertise and the experiences that they've had and pointing them into a new direction. Do you find women who who um, they'll they'll get they'll become a member? First of this is a um, so a, a group process. Somebody yes. joins. Yes, we are joins, a member organization. Okay, it's a membership organization. Somebody joins a transition network, and it's cross country. Is there's mm-hmm. groups all over the country. Mm-hmm. Do you find some of these women who say, you know, I I don't want to do anything like I did. I want to just totally change directions, just totally reinvent myself. Absolutely. And how do I do that? Absolutely. You know, I worked in a cubicle for 35 years. Now I want to be run my own business. Mm-hmm. And do you provide the the people who then can say, well, talk to this lady. She's done this. She'll help you do that. Almost like a peer to peer thing. Absolutely. The the first component of the process, as we call it, sort of, uh, is connecting. And we help women connect with one another through small group experiences, through programs and events, so that they are talking to one another, sharing their own experiences. And um, really beginning to discover, which is the second part, what options are out there for them. Um, you mentioned um, maybe a person that's completely changed gears. One of my favorite stories is of a, a member in New York who was in a, in a transition peer group, learning and talking with one another. Um, and she started to talk about what she loved to do as a younger person in, in, in the art world. She had been in education all of her life. 
They encouraged her to start taking classes and to really get back into it. And now when you meet her, she says, hi, my name is Linda and I'm an artist. Hmm. So she completely changed going back to something that she loved as a younger woman um, and was able to. She actually has art shows and she sells her work now. So in the uh, literature that the Transition Network has, and you brought me some, you, you, you have these three corners of concern, mm-hmm. connect, discover, impact. Walk right. me through what does that mean? Well, the first, the first is connect. We just have to help women rebuild their network of support, um, rebuild friends. I know when I left my job in 2007, the most shocking thing, I knew I was leaving the paycheck and the stress. I didn't think I was going to le- lose all my friends. And so the whole society of my life changed when that happened. So we bring them together in these transition peer groups so that they can begin to connect, rebuild friendships, um, have people to do things with because all of those people – that they were part of their day-to-day life have gone away. Uh, the discover piece is exactly what it says. It's discovering your options. It's figuring out new perspectives. Our priorities are changing. Um, maybe we've been knee-deep in raising children, and now there's grandchildren. We might be participating in that effort as well. A lot of our members are um, very involved in rearing grandchildren right. to help help their children out. Um, so it's really discovering what's important to each of us uh, at this stage of our lives. And then, of course, the third part is impact. And all of these are very personal decisions, the kind of impact that you might want to have with um, your community, on your family, on yourself, um, on the world. And so that's defined by each person individually. The beauty of the groups is that they find people with common interests. And the next thing you know, they're um, they're volunteering at a local charity. Um, I've got a group in Long Island who they get together every month and they knit and then they donate all, all the blankets to the homeless shelter. So let's talk about, you know, you're, you're the executive director of the, of the organization, but you're based here in Philly. So there's a, a Philadelphia area and there's a Philadelphia area chapter. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about, uh, you know, What's a what's a typical you know month of or year of activity of a transition network group? What mm-hmm. what are some of those things? Just you, you mentioned some of the socialization stuff, but mm-hmm. are there is there advocacy issues? Is there you know social? I'm sure there's a lot of socialization. Mm-hmm. What you know? Do you meet every month, every you know six weeks, or is it regular or ad hoc? How does it right. work? Uh, all of our chapters are unique, and they they find ways to uh, bring the mission to the members based on the members themselves. Here in Philadelphia, we have a, a chapter of about 320 women, hmm. uh, one of our larger chapters across the country, and they are very active in a variety of activities. Um, we don't necessarily – here in Philadelphia, we don't have formal monthly meetings, but there is a, a whole calendar of – uh, programs. There's lots. Of, we partner with other organizations to do programs on Medicare and finances and, and some of the business of life issues, a lot of health support issues. Um, but then there's a lot of today, uh, there's a group of women that are touring the Philadelphia Library. Um, and so there's some the social pieces of that. Some of them are dinner groups. Uh, we also have special interest groups where the members themselves would create a group. So we have the book clubs and things like that where they are exploring um, reading and then getting together to talk about that and to understand that impact on their lives. Um, they In Philadelphia, we probably have, I don't know, two or three events a month, maybe more sometimes, um, but they're very active in Philadelphia. We have large chapters in New York and Long Island, and then we have chapters across the country all the way out to San Francisco. And this is for professional women, correct? 
That's what the that's what the mission statement says. Although the the definition of profense, professional well, is. I was going to ask you, what's a professional woman? You know. You know. As opposed to an amateur woman. Yes, <laughs> exactly. We're all professionals. You know, it's it's kind of a self descriptor. Um, we went through a lot of words and we were trying to decide who we were speaking to. And right. we could say educated, we could say accomplished, we could say a lot of different things. But I wouldn't necessarily say that about myself. But I would say that I'm a professional. And I would say in my particular case, that was the word that caught my eye when I found the little tiny article in 2007. I didn't know I was in transition. I didn't know what that was. And I saw that and said, wow, I guess that's me. Maybe I should join this group. You came from the housing industry, right? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you left that work Mm -hmm. and, you know, you weren't a Ph.D. teaching at at Temple University and whatever. You're, You're in the business world. Right. But, you know, so that concept of professional, I guess, it, like you said, it has to be fairly broad. Yes. I mean, there's no test to join the right. transition network. That's not an application. It's a registration. So if uh, so, any woman who feels themselves in transition. Absolutely. Hears about the transition network and just makes contact, they're going to be welcome. Of course. Absolutely. So the website, the contact, let's do that right away. How does somebody get in touch with you? Um, you can join through our website at www, sorry, the transition. <laughs> it's the transition network.org. The, the is very important there. Um, and there's a join page that they can, they can look around and see what we're about. Does it cost to join? Is there a membership fee or is it just, you know, just show up? No, if you live in one of our chapter areas, the membership fee is a hundred dollars a year. And then we have our what we call national or virtual members, people that don't live in where we actually have a quote bricks and mortar chapter. Um, that's fifty dollars. So that, I mean, that's that, let's do that. I mean, so I'm living in um, Bismarck, North Dakota. Mm-hmm. I, you don't have a, a chapter in North Dakota, correct? But I go on the transition network, mm-hmm. and this sounds, you know, this is a group. You know, I don't want to be isolated. Mm-hmm. I can then do this stuff online. And become a virtual member if that's uh, through mm-hmm. the through the, the the internet. Right. Correct. Right. It's one of the areas we're trying to make more robust. But right now we have a lot of resources on our website, including partner organizations that may have um, end user uh, choices like support for beginning a business or. Um, getting back into the workforce if they wanted that sort of thing with different organizations that are professionals in that area. We kind of look at our space as the time in between. Um, We also do a series of telephone peer groups. So we might get six or eight women on the phone on a regular basis to kind of emulate the in-person peer groups that we have. Now, you mentioned that we were talking before the show uh, Mm -hmm. that you've done webinars. So Mm -hmm. there's the, the webinar concept. Through, mm-hmm. through transition? A lot of the webinars we do are um, to support our chapter leaders. We are an all-volunteer organization. And other than myself and a few staff members, we are dependent on women who look at running a chapter in TTN as their life choice, as their impact. And so we have steering committee people all across the country. So a lot of the learning that goes on is with them and support of them so that they can understand the best way to deliver the mission. Uh, we just introduced some signature programs in the Transition Network, and the first one we rolled out last year was a Women in Transition workshop. And we're now in the process of putting that into webinar form so that we'll be able to bring that to our national members. That should come out next year sometime. And I would imagine that you 
try to bring people together on a, an annual basis or, or um, do you? Not we, We've done a few conferences. A yeah. lot of them have to do with leadership. We right. are planning a conference for 2018. It's actually going to be here in Philadelphia. Um, I think it's October of 2018. So we're in the early planning stages, but as you know, you've got to nail down these locations far Oh, yeah, because, you know, by October of 2018, you know, you know we may have a World Series here. Exactly. We don't want to, we don't want to, mm-hmm. if God willing, and about 25 good players. <laughs> we're speaking with Susan Collins, the executive director of the Transition Network, a, 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 a inclusive community of professional women over the age of 50. We'll be back with Susan. I want to ask you a little bit about this concept of transition and, and, and some of what you're finding, not only personally, but with the women that you're working with uh, and how that plays out on people's lives. We'll do that right after this message from our friends down the street at Kendall. Hi, this is Kendall staff member Sheila Sylvester. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio is brought to you by Kendall. Founded on Quaker principles, Kendall provides independent living, assisted living, memory support, skilled nursing, and rehabilitation care for older adults in eight states. Whether you're looking for the intellectual and cultural stimulation of a college town or a big city, Kendall has a community for you. We are together transforming the experience of aging. To learn more, visit kendall.org or call toll-free 888-759-0128. Welcome back to our second segment here on today's edition of Boomer Generation Radio, coming to you again from WWDB AM 860 here in Greater Philadelphia and streaming live on WWDBAM.com. This is your host, Richard Address, and we are speaking with Susan Collins, the executive director of the Transition Network. And we've been talking about some of the programs uh available to the members, professional women over the age of 50 in transition. Susan, talk to me about this concept of transition because it's not only um, not only I'm leaving my full-time job and now I'm going to look for something meaningful to do for the next 30 years of my life, but there's also, is there not um, a psychological impact, sometimes a spiritual impact, certainly a familial impact mm-hmm. of what this word transition means? What, what have you found? Oh, my gosh, Richard, you're exactly right. There's transitions going on all over the place. And I don't know if it's true that there are more at this stage of life than any other. I think there is. But it sure feels like it. Yeah, I think there is. <laughs> um, our our physiology is changing, our health. Uh, we all look in the mirror every day and something else has changed. Um, so the idea of the scope of changes and transitions is another reason for bringing people together under this idea that we're not crazy other people are experiencing the same thing. And what is the best way to deal with changes? Um, I think William Bridges, who's done a lot of work on transition, thinks of transition as, you know, what's going on on the inside as you're dealing with all the changes going on on the outside. And so what we hope our members are able to do is to put these things in perspective and to take advantage of change. Anytime you have change, you have opportunity for growth. And that's what we're hoping that they can do. And they each can find for themselves the kind of life that's going to be meaningful, that's going to have purpose, and in whatever way they define it. So as the executive, you you have the opportunity to really, you know, get in touch with the members around the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, interesting question. What What's, in your sense, from dealing with these women full time, what's their biggest fear? What's their biggest hope? 
Wow. Um, I think the biggest fear is lack of control of their lives, hmm. of somehow not being who they were and able to make decisions, you know, be able uh, some along the lines of what you were talking with the previous guest of, of being self-sufficient uh, or being isolated. Um, we have a lot of women who are single, uh, widowed um, and divorced. And so the idea of being alone, I think, is a motivator to get out and to com- be part of the community. Um, to, to expand that because the isolation thing, the aloneness thing, I, I keep running into as I travel and in, in, in my work. Really huge, mm-hmm. major, major. Right. Yeah. I mean, the statistics show that women outlive men. Right. And so we have a lot of single women. In, in, and it's interesting because the same isolation can occur in the suburbs of Philadelphia as it does in the oh, towers God. of New York. Oh, yeah. um, so the it, it's just a fact of their lives. And if they aren't encouraged to get out and participate, they could spend most time alone. And I think that's the real fear for for a lot of us, regardless of where we live. Um, it's interesting. Um, not only did our founders create the transition network based on their own experience of saying what's going to happen in the next years ahead as we leave our, our um, um, careers, but they also came up with the concept of a caring collaborative. And this goes right to the heart of the isolation problem where women need someone to take them to the doctor. They need a ride home from a, a procedure um, they may need an extra set of ears to listen as they might be taking a diagnosis. And so while we're not in the medical field, that's not our purpose, we do provide peer-to-peer support for um, not necessarily a chronic ongoing kind of a thing, but an acute illness. So, you know, you've had your knee replaced and you need to be brought back and forth or something mm-hmm. like that. So it started in New York. We just started one here in Philadelphia. Um, so it's really another um, – the idea of health and being self-sufficient and being able to take care of yourself, the burden is so alleviated knowing that I can call my friend. And to be honest, they'd rather call their friend than their family. They don't oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, because with the family, you get all the drama. Right, right. So it's easier just to call my friend <laughs> yeah, and say, hey, can you take me down? And With your friend, you can talk about – you can gossip with your, your, your brother-in-law. You're going to get mm-hmm. drama. Yes. Exactly. I mean, that's a generalization. And, and worry. And worry. Yeah, and yeah. maybe even before it's necessary. Not that I would ever recommend yeah, not yeah, speaking yeah. to your family. Yeah, but. we know that. It's a disclaimer. <laughs> exactly. Do you, you know, just before we get into that second question, we've, we've had people on the show in the last several years we've talked about, and the statistics, um, validate this about, um, this phenomenon of great divorce. And I would imagine in the age group that you're dealing with, and you just alluded to this, that many of your, Members are alone. They're either widowed or I would imagine a, a significant number are divorced. And that's another major transition. Um, how do you, do you deal with this, uh, in, in like at the peer to peer or support groups? Do you have, do you have people who you refer, you know, they'll, somebody will come to a meeting and say, I'm dealing with this right now. I'm at my wits end. I don't know what to do. I mean, how, how do you handle things like that? Um, it has to come up. I'm sure that it does, yes. In our transition peer groups, although we're very careful to suggest to these ladies these are not technically support groups in, right, the, in right. the psychological sense, but just engaging with other women who have been through it, you're going to have people referring and saying you might try this person or that person. So I think being part of the community opens the doors to a lot of resources that you don't get otherwise. Um, 
I think in in terms of the numbers of people that are getting divorced at this stage, I don't know that I have a statistic on that. Um, it, it seems to happen when the kids are up and grown, mm-hmm. and it becomes a well, we don't need to be together anymore. But it's I don't I would have to say honestly I don't know that I hear that a lot. Most of our women are pretty. Um, pretty open to what's next or hoping to be open to what's next. So then they'll go to that second question. What in your sort of like overview of the membership of the tra- of the transition network, what's their biggest hope? Their biggest hope I think is to be productive and engage. Relevance comes up a lot. How do I stay relevant? Um, you mentioned with your previous guest about the technology. Mm-hmm. How do I stay up to date? Um, and that is a struggle. That's a struggle for our, our age group for sure. Um, so they they don't want to necessarily be relegated to that position of fear. They want to hopefully be purposeful and matter and make someone's life better. Is there is there an average age that you can sort of like pull out of your head right now from all these groups all over the country? Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned that the Philadelphia group has about 300 women in it. Mm-hmm. So is there an average age? Are, they, are they, these women in their 50s, 60s, 70s? Mm-hmm. Our average is probably around 64 oh, okay. right now. Um, and we're finding that the 50-year-olds aren't necessarily joining us. Actually, it's interesting. The 50-year-old 15 years ago in 2000 when we were born was was kind of ready for this next thing. And she might even have a mid, another career. And a lot of our members do do that. Right. Um, the 50-year-old today still has children in high school. Yes. And so it, our age group has gone up. But we still want to make sure that we're in front of the 50-year-olds waving the flag saying, hey, transition's coming. Get ready. We're here when you need us. Um, so a lot of our members truly are of the age where they're past their career. They're looking ahead at retirement and saying, what's next? One, one of the statements on, on the website um, has the phrase, that you believe in challenging conventional thinking about aging. So we have about three minutes left. What does that mean? Well, uh, you know, I would say this generation is the first generation of women who have been in the workforce in the in the numbers mm-hmm. that they have. And we have no role models to define what retirement or the next stage of life, the encore stage of life should look like. So what is the conventional thinking? I'm not even sure there is any other than um, mom, who may or may not have even worked outside the home, and she took care of dad. And when he retired, they went to Florida. <laughs> so what's is, is that a convention? I don't know. But now there's kind of a clean slate. And a lot of our members think in terms of writing that page for their daughters and saying that I can show my children that I am a different kind of uh, grandmother, you know, grand. I used to think of my grandmother as living in the apartment, and we visited once in a while. Um, very different now. Very different. Very involved. Now. Very but involved. Think of that whole generation right. of grandchildren that are looking at their grandparents, both dad and mom, and saying, "Wow, they're very active. They're going places. They're traveling. They're, you know, they're participating right. in my." Childhood. They're climbing Machu Picchu instead of sitting Absolutely. around on a, a, a rocking chair. So just that alone is con- is challenging mm-hmm. a conventional theory. We don't look anything like our grandparents mm-hmm. did. Thank heavens. <laughs> so in, in the very short amount of time, we have about a minute and a half left in this segment. What What's the one message that you want to give to this entire new generation of professional women, women perhaps exiting the full-time workforce but yet with decades of life ahead of them? What's What's that one piece of advice you want to give them? I think they are entering the most exciting time of their life, a time where they hopefully have choices, 
They have options. They have people to do things with. They can write their life at this point with um, purpose and dignity and um, camaraderie and community. And I just think that to look at aging as a positive thing, the positive aging industry, et cetera, mm-hmm. um, is the best thing we can do for ourselves and for the people around us. So attitude is everything? Heavens, yes. I'm having more fun now. I loved my job. I loved home building. It was a phenomenal career. Um, but doing this, I think when I meet the members and I see them together and I see them excited and having a great time with one another and thinking, oh, I had some little tiny piece to do with that, right. um, is extremely gratifying. There's a sense of empowerment? Absolutely. Once Absolutely. Gone, but before we have to leave, uh, getting in contact with the Transition Network, how do we do that? Uh, obviously the website, thetransitionnetwork.org. Uh, you can email us at info at thetransitionnetwork.org. And you're more than welcome to email me directly. And my email is Susan. Dot Collins at the transition network.org. Susan Collins, the executive director of the transition network, uh, continued success and Thank good you. luck. This is very exciting and, um, look forward to reading more about you and that those three words that you're sort of like organizing principle of connect, discover and impact. Good message for not only women, but for everyone as we transition into that, that hopefully that third stage and exciting stage of life. To all of you, thank you very much for joining us again on another edition of Boomer Generation Radio. We'll see you next week, same time, 10 a.m. on Tuesday morning, Eastern Time. To everyone, just have a good week. Stay safe, everyone.